Hello and welcome to or welcome back to the Performance Rising podcast this season. We continue our exploration of the reimagining of athletics in light of social distancing. Today on the podcast, we welcome back Sinead McSherry, head women's soccer coach at St. Lawrence University. Sinead, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Matt. Good to be back. Yeah, uh, we just had a great conversation uh, before we started recording. A lot of stuff going down like most uh, coaches in the country, most people in the country, you are certainly dealing with this, the impact of uh, the virus and social distancing. And we look forward to understanding all of that. But before we jump into that, uh, because we talked to you uh, back before the fall, why don't you give us a brief recap of the season? And specifically, how did you think your culture performed? Uh, the season went pretty well from, I would say, an outsider's perspective, looking at results. I am somebody that doesn't ever really track that. So I'm blatantly pulling up our record on my phone. <laughs> so that will show you. No, I applaud that actually. I pay attention to that piece. Uh, so let's see, 2019. Um, so for the people that love a good stat, um, we were 12 and five overall. So, you know, uh, looks good on paper. I would say, um, first years came in, did pretty well. Uh, overall, I think that we were able to put some pieces together that we were talking about, uh, the last time with, um, trying to give more of the, the ownership to the player during the week in terms of the, the competition day that we do. Uh, that was always fun for them. Um, in terms of the, the ownership piece and, and trying to get players to sort of buy into that winning mindset a little bit more, I think that was a little bit more difficult and it's something that we're still trying to work through. Um, we didn't play like a, a massive, um, sorry, we didn't play, uh, you know, a, a big strength of schedule. We kind of played the, the minimum game schedule and that was just because we had a couple teams pull out and, you know, it's, it's nice to get those wins, but we need to be playing those bigger dogs to, to kind of be in that fight. Um, and then, you know, you meet William Smith in, in a playoff game and, um, it's a tough road to hoe. Yeah. So, um, but it was fun. The players worked hard. They, they gave their all and, uh, it's, it's been good trying to move forward from that and see what we can be better at, including the coaching staff to, to try and make, you know, the, the future a little bit brighter, but then obviously now you've got everything that's going on. So, so we'll have to see. What does winning mentality mean to you? Uh, for me, it's just a, a relentless belief that, um, players can compete with players who they might identify as being similar or better. Um, so not just the belief piece, um, but having, you know, confidence gets thrown around a lot. And I think players, some of our players might lack some of that confidence, maybe from preparation standpoint. Uh, I don't think they've 
necessarily been that big team that's used to to working you around in the weight room for example that was a a pretty new thing that I had to try and drag into them and and most of them are bought in but not all of them and that has definitely been a bit of a struggle but it's early days yeah um and then just the the mindset to 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 continue to build outside of the the team environment you know that individual piece um getting to know your teammates you know student athletes i mean my gosh it's it's so much work even at division three it's just it's just constant and and if you want to be up there in one of the the top brackets of those winning teams that have that um culture that we speak of all the time then those things need to be happening more so on a daily basis as habitual as possible and not something you just pick up two weeks prior to the season um so that's kind of what I mean by that mindset, just that continuation process. Yeah. How was the, how was your leadership? For me personally, I think they've been helpful. Um, we have very open and honest dialect. The biggest thing I think that I struggle with and that they struggle with for two years, we've had a leadership committee, um, when I first got to St. Lawrence, there were two captains in place. I honored their captaincy and I had the team vote on, I think the top three players that had the most points, we kind of added them in. Last year when we did that, um, I think it became a little bit of a, of a popularity vote instead of, well, she might be deserving of leadership. She might be deserving of a title or a medal, whatever you want to call it but I don't know if necessarily um, she needs to, to have that title of leadership because I, th I think her popularity with you is, is actually going to go the opposite way if she's going to do her job right. Um, and so what I mean by that is kind of that accountability piece. I think there is a, a team dynamic and a power struggle, I think, amongst teams uh, in general with trying to hold their peers accountable, particularly ones that they're close with. Um, and so we've, we've talked a, a little bit about that. I haven't asked them to divulge in any particular information that they have struggled with. But for me, if I feel like I'm coming in too hot or too cold and I'm able to express that to them, they've been very good about telling me, no, you go ahead or, oh, I wouldn't do that. And so that has been helpful for me in continuing to understand the culture, the dynamic, the the kind of vibe on campus, um, things of that nature. So I think they've been very helpful to me. I know that they truly love the team and the program and have tried to do what they can with what they have and what I've probably given them and haven't given them. Um, but again, they're also pretty playing heavy. And even though we've talked about this as a team, you know, nobody that wasn't playing time heavy was voted on so we ended up with seven seven players last year that mostly were playing heavy um and i was surprised by that because we had talked about it as a team and you know players who don't play want to be able to relate to someone that that doesn't play but they're not putting forward those people um so i'm not sure given the circ the circumstances right now 
Um, we have two juniors and a sophomore still on the leadership committee from last year um, that I think I'm trying to help a little bit more because I think they're probably going to have to continue in that role. And then as for the vote in peace, you know, I don't know what that's going to look like. I'll probably give the team a say, but ultimately those typical characters haven't been able to step up in a, you know, off season like they traditionally would on campus. Um, so yeah, it's going to, it's going to be interesting moving forward to see what that's going to look like. And, and I don't really know the, the right or wrong answer. And I'm always looking to be open-minded about that. You know, maybe I am or should pick two captains, go with that top tier down hierarchy that I'm mostly against. Um, so we'll just have to, we'll have to see what comes of it. In terms I'm, of I'm truly is. fascinated by this. Um, the situation you have where the, the players who are playing less and are given an opportunity to lead are not either putting themselves forward or, uh, you know, voting for members who also are not playing as much as other players. And I'm curious, you know, why do you think that is? Our team always talks about having good team chemistry and being super tight knit. And whilst I definitely appreciate those values about any team that I've been on, there's also this mentality that when we go to work, we go to work and the friendship and the work at the work side of things are different. Um, you know, it's maybe like working for a family business. If you mess up, I'm going to have to tell you because we're going to be draining money. Um, but at home, I still love you. You're still my son, daughter, whomever. I think it's really difficult for, for teams that believe or think that they're, that team chemistry is driven purely on likability, that there is no room for confrontation, which to me, confrontation is communication. And if you can't have that face-to-face conversation, uh, communication in a sense of you know I'm here to make you better you might not like the sound of what I'm saying you might not even like the tone uh, and you know sometimes I have to think about that myself because I'm foreign and we're full of sarcasm and banter and doesn't always come across the right way so again tone is a, is a big thing um, that is is predominantly what I believe is the is the struggle um, and some people like to blame it on power or playing time. But when you, when you strip it away, I think it really does come down to there isn't enough time maybe to have that communication. And so this off season, instead of training three times a week, I was going to dedicate one day a week to classroom session, working on character development and just having conversation, talking about roles on a team, teamwork in general. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do a little bit of right now, but, you know, again, different to having that face-to-face value, which you can't get right now. Yeah. So this is something I'm truly fascinated in. This is actually the core of my doctoral work because there is something about the athletic systems that is intrinsically, uh, about, not only an internal struggle between the identity of I, I'm a starting or I'm, I'm gaining value through my identity as a player who plays a lot and the egos need to have that. And so 
you know, all this stuff that you certainly know about, you know, system dynamics, uh, communication, there is this wrinkle in athletics about this playing, not playing split that I think just completely colors all of those interactions. And I certainly have not figured it out yet. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'm wondering if you have any, you know, any insight into how that playing identity versus not playing identity affects how a team works, communicates, thinks. I think it works great when you're winning and it sucks when you're losing. Right. <laughs> I would say that's probably the, the case for the majority of, of teams and, and coaching buddies that I've had. You know, I've got a friend that has won a lot of games and you'd never guess the team dynamics that she has. And it's just mind boggling a little bit. Um, and I would say with her situation, she just has a, a lack of um, time with them due to a part-time nature. Um, so I can't imagine that. But I think in terms of where that comes from, uh, to initially give them the thought processes that they have coming into that environment, it's maybe a little bit part of the, I'm no longer the big, what is it, big fish in the, mm -hmm. in the little pond. I'm, you know, equal with everybody pretty much the opportunity, the window of opportunity is now smaller and that I only have four years to kind of make this happen. This is the end of my soccer career as opposed to the beginning sometimes, depending on how you look at it for some players. Um, and then there's just that pressure from probably outside norms. You know, one big thing I try to tell them is, you know, I don't know our record. Like I literally have a sticky note on my, on my monitor because if, if recruits come in or I'm on a phone call with a, a recruit and their family and they want to know, and I, I have to have it ready there because otherwise I have to do what I just did then and, and go on my phone. You know, I, I don't, we don't do film breakdown and spend money on how many passes we had in a game because a 600 passes might sound great, but it's all relative. And, and also the person breaking down our game doesn't know anything about us. And I'd rather spend that money on, you know, something like this that's meaningful and about what goes on behind closed doors, because that is, that is the root and core of who you are as a team, as an individual. And, and that's where you're really going to flourish win, loss or tie, you know, it might not happen for a few years, but that's also going to serve them a purpose when they graduate from here. And that's my biggest thing too is is that i don't i don't mind the adversity i don't mind pushing them a little bit left right and center to to get used to and awkward about some of the conversations that we have um because now we're seeing them in this adversity and and how we're dealing with it is going to be based on what they've been previously used to so for a lot of them circling back it, it comes down to if they've ever been a non-star and if they haven't and this is if this is the first environment that they are truly experiencing that then it's just it's opening up a a whole can of all size worms well said we could go on and on and on uh, but i guess for the sake of your time uh, we can get back to uh remote remote aspects of coaching 
Um, and so with that said, how has this social, social distancing affected your team? Uh, I think it's been tough. I think it's been different for everybody individually as a collective. You know, we still had players abroad up until a week and a half ago. So anything we wanted to, to do as a team kind of had to delay a little bit. Um, normally we were on spring break by the time everybody got sent home. They, they got told they were being sent home right before spring break. And normally during this time of year, you know, they're just finishing up a workout packet and, and trying to get touches on a ball right before they come back into spring. So I kind of left that, that spring season as, as it was, uh, sorry, that spring break as it was minimal contact, you know, that some of them are just getting home with all their stuff, wondering what is going on. Um, so I think it's been a, it's been a struggle for sure. I think really this week or just over this past weekend is the first time that that they've truly been able to sit down and figure out a schedule, which, sound, which sounds really weird. The classes haven't changed, but I think people forget about the nuances of, of being on campus, you know, walking between, um, you know, your classes, seeing your friends, or even just that movement piece um, and having the teacher in front of you at your disposal who will remind you each class, hey, you've got assignment X due on Wednesday. Now they're essentially their own PA on top of trying to figure everything out. So the scheduling part was, was something we recommended that they try to, to figure out. We, we definitely recommended a, a few different things like, you know, get up, get dressed into real clothes, make your bed, try not to study in your room if you can. Um, but uh, we've checked in with everyone. They seem good. Their families seem good, which I know can be an added stress for some people. Um, and, and so far we have a, a few players whose families are kind of on the front lines, but they're, they're well and just dealing with it. So I'm sure they're like everybody else. Yeah. So one of the interesting aspects that is coming up a lot with the coaches I'm talking to is, uh, because the normal support structures are now gone, right? So, co uh, students on college campuses have a, a wide array of support structures, including mental health. Um, and that mental health piece is is gone. And as as a primary contact, I mean, you have now become the primary contact for a lot of these kids. Um, certainly, they're taking online classes, but I, it's a different relationship. And I'm wondering how have you felt that the mental health piece in your players, and then how have you felt it as a coach? For them as players, um, they've been pretty well supported by our sports medicine staff who, who sends out like a, a weekly newsletter. We also moved to a, um, before this all went down, uh, a kind of text messaging service, if you will, for therapy. If, if people weren't comfortable going to see someone or, you know, walk in the doors of the counseling center and be judged. So there's that option, which is, been available and apparently has been a really good resource. We, we kind of hired a new VP of, uh, I'm going to forget the name, but someone up high and he brought this idea in from a, a school that he was at and said it went down really, really well. And so far that's been really well received across the board. Um, and, and the counseling center has made people available online in, in different ways. So, Resource wise, I feel like they have the tools 
I think they know how to access them. Um, I've definitely had a few players reach out that, you know, are a little bit concerned uh, maybe about their family or, um, you know, injury or, or something that they're, they're not able to get access to. So we, we had some good, honest conversation and, you know, I've just tried to reiterate, look, none of us are, are coming out of this fit as fiddles. We, if we go into the season all bent out of shape, then we'll just, you know, flatten out as and when we get there, it's, it's not going to, you know, the last, the, the thing I'm worried about is everyone coming out of this, particularly on a recruiting side of things and throwing people straight into games and just not really thinking about, and it, you know, not taking anything we've learned in this, that there's still bigger pieces to the picture other than soccer. And that's all really right now I'm trying to, we're still doing soccer stuff, but trying to get them to focus on. So trying to keep them at ease with that, because I think that's important for me as the head coach to not suddenly get militant about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. It hasn't really changed my world. Like I, I feel like to me, this is a challenge and I'm taking every opportunity I can to, to better myself or the program or them and um, try not to be overwhelming with contact as well as, you know, giving them marching orders. Um, and so I made that very clear with them. Um, and the other thing I did to try to reiterate that reflection piece was I sent them um, just recently, just one page. I wrote it out because I think there's a benefit to, to writing versus typing, particularly now that they're on their computers all the time of just a journal entry of my initial thoughts and fears and hopes um, just to kind of even if they can't necessarily relate to me but just to try to give them a sense of look none of us none of us know what's happening it's okay it's okay to feel like shit um, it's okay to not be your best self right now it's okay that you haven't ran in two weeks it's okay that you've got piles of paper everywhere um, it's okay just just lean on it and and be in it, you know, order a pizza on top of it, who cares? And then kind of move through to the, to the next phase of life when you wake up the next day. So on behalf of all players everywhere, I just want to applaud your vulnerability as being a great model for your players. Uh, it's really hard in this time. I'm certainly seeing a lot of teams and the, I think the hardest, the thing I'm seeing is it's really hard for them to admit how hard it is. And maybe it's age, Maybe it's a stereotype of athletes, but uh, yeah, I just want to take a minute and say thank you for allowing yourself to be vulnerable because that encourages your players to be vulnerable. Uh, so with that being said, uh, you know, aside from the, the journal entry, what have you been doing um, with your team to keep people together or at least keep communication open? Uh, yeah. So the journal entry, um, I, I told them that they, they didn't have to feel the need to, write their version but if they wanted to and share it with the rest of the team that i would encourage that um or share it with their closest teammates so hoping that it becomes a you know a circular team journal if you will um at the moment on top of that so we had a class meeting last week with each class and, and went through uh, like a, a 40 minute workshop, just having them focus. And I, I kind of gave them um, 
a TED talk by Fergus Connolly actually called Sheepdogs. And I'm not sure if you watched it. It's about 10, 12 minutes, typical, um, you know, TED talk, so to speak, um, that got them thinking about that vulnerability piece. But again, just aligning everyone with, you know, this is where we are. We're not perfect. Um, let's talk about these team dynamics from, from that sense of, of things. And so we did about 40 minutes on uh, a workshop, just trying to, to get to understand um, what needs to go into a team, um, you know, try to get their opinions a little bit on, um, just trying to look here what we did. We kind of looked a little bit at, so we talked a little bit about mindset. Um, I asked them to kind of write down where their current mindset was at and, and where those thoughts, attitudes or beliefs come from. And then we talked about um, their skill set, like where they think that is at right now and, and where do those thoughts come from and pretty much talked about that input process outcome piece of, um, you know, identifying basically to see, to get them to be reflective on, you know, if their outcomes were results driven or relational and then kind of moved on to that to talk about um, people who are maybe on the, the me side of things as opposed to the we side of things and just talked about what are the, what are the barriers? Can you, can you kind of identify why people might, you know, get into these mindsets um, and talked about the self-protection that we all use. And I try to give them a, a couple of examples. Like I, I told them, um, I think it was during a game against Bard, my pregame talk. I didn't really know where it came from, but it wasn't very positive at all. And I think I got into a self-protection mode of um, maybe even slightly you know, blaming others for, for the result the day before when it was probably my fault for making like a, an extra sub or two and try to just get them to put in the chat little things of that nature that they could think of. Um, and then we kind of worked through that and, and talked about self-promotion as well, because they seem to be the two main barriers to people becoming part of the we as, a, as opposed to the me. So we did a little bit of that. And then this week was truly the week that they got moving with the soccer piece, because like I said, we were trying to get everyone back from abroad and on the right time zones. Um, so every, every week they get sent a new skill challenge by me on a Sunday evening, they have to work through it. Uh, and we wanted to make it fun. And again, not something that people are going to judge them by, or I'm going to judge them by. So we turned it into, um, they have to make a little video as a, as a group. We called it a Saint sister group. So there's about six Saint sister groups and every week they have a, each sister group has to post this video. So the first group went on Friday and we also said, and you have to be wearing something silly. It's called funky fit Friday. Um, so it's based on your workout attire of your choice and yeah, they went with it and it was pretty funny um they did their own version music and it just allows them as a small group to kind of post back and forth what they're doing and have communication about what they're wearing what music they want all the kind of virtual stuff that they already love and know 
Um, so every week each group has to do that. And then they also kind of have to, to post some stuff to one another as they're working through that skill. So the, the entire soccer packet probably has about six items of technique. And, and the last one is the challenge. Um, on top of that, they already have our, our workout packet. Like I was saying to you, um, that our strength coach kind of gave them, um, we're planning on doing team yoga, I think next week. Um, that's really the, the first team time that we're going to come together. Again, I felt like they're already on zoom enough and that they, you know, we're quite a big team. I didn't want people falling asleep in the background. Um, and we're trying to create mini opportunities for them to, to see face value. So the next time we meet in a small group, we're not going to meet them in year groups. We're going to meet them in their Saint sister groups. And now they're working through the different year groups. Um, and then my buddy, Caitlin Okamoto, who works for a DA program at Minnesota, she's completing her PhD at the Tucker research center. She's going to deliver a, um, workshop on confidence. So that will be another opportunity for them to be together as a team. And it, again, it just gives another person other than me a chance to talk with them and a, ch a chance for them to be open and honest without feeling, um, like that information is going to come back to me, which I'm going to make sure I tell them that it won't, but I'm not going to be on that. That's an opportunity for them to work together. And it's through the, the, she believes cup. So that is something I believe that is out there for other people if they want to do it. Um, there's maybe something else, but yeah, it's already April. It's kind of wild because in four weeks time, it's going to be exam week. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but you know, trying to, to do a little bit more than we normally would just for the sake of making sure that they feel valued, safe and wanted in a strange way. Um, is that your guiding principle? Cause I'm hearing so much here, psychosocial, emotional stuff that I, I think is incredible. Um, what, what would you say is your guiding principle here of all these things you're doing? Do you, do you have one or two or three? I think my, my biggest one is that I, I believe everybody deserves to feel loved. Um, the hardest thing with that, I think as a head coach is that sometimes you have to balance that and not necessarily balance that. I think that's the guiding core principle always. Um, but when you are again, having that hard conversation with a, with an athlete or a player and it's, Maybe you're not getting playing time, but I still see value in you being on this team or I still see value in you contributing. Do you want to take that and run or do you want to take that and sulk? And that's, I think, what is what's difficult for, for players to absorb and feel like there's no love there or, or I'm lying or, you know, whatever it may be. And maybe think or believe that other players are deserving of more and, I've always tried to reiterate that with them, that there isn't, you know, a coach doesn't have favorites, like a, a teacher doesn't have favorites, but you know, don't get me wrong. If someone's going to do all the work, I'm going to be like, wow, you know, blown away. Cause I think that's really hard to do, but it doesn't mean they're a favorite. It just means they've gone above and beyond. But um, there was a player when I first got here and we, we actually named a award after her. Well, not after her. We, I named it because 
I hadn't really had that many players on a team not really contribute. And we were a big team when I first got here and still sort of are. And I kept everyone more or less, including players that I knew weren't going to see time on the field, but I really wanted to give them a role. And just the way that she took the opportunities that I had given her and did everything with a smile on her face, I just thought to myself, all right, we've got, you know, we're going to do managers, player, coaches, player, but what about this? You know, this is the, the saint soul, if you like, this is the soul of our team. And I've, I don't know if the players know that, but that is by far my favorite award because you can be managers player, you can be coaches player or players player, whatever it may be. But to get this award means that you went through hell more or less to keep a straight face, to put a smile on your face, to be positive, to not be moan behind someone's back and still do it, you know, for the love of your teammates. I mean, that I think is just incredible. And yeah. we still talk now and I'd only known her like, you know, six months or, or two or three months when I showed up and, and she's, she just went with it. And still, we, I, I felt like that group of seniors, to be honest, I was like, wow, I feel, I still text them as much as I text friends of mine, you know, they'll text me and let me know what they're up to. Or one of them's just, just tried out and playing semi-pro out in Michigan. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And it's just those, those are the, no one's talking about soccer when you leave St. Lawrence, when you leave school. I mean, they are, but you're you're talking about those relationships and and the fact that they're able to take that experience and apply it to what they're doing now. And those types of players that win those types of awards can apply way more than maybe a player who's won, you know, accolade after accolade for what they did on the field. Um, And so that for me, I think is where or why I put a lot of emphasis on that because it's the, it's really the person behind everything. And yeah, we want to win, but I'm not going to sacrifice that if I could get it tomorrow for a year or two of some adversity and, and letting people grow and, and have an opportunity. Wow. So coaches of America, coaches of the world, if you haven't figured it out yet, that coaching is relational please do so now. Uh, it's really not about winning or losing. It's about relationships. Um, and, and talking about our relationships, how are you thinking about handling recruiting knowing that we can't go out and see players anymore? Uh, I just told, I emailed the whole database yesterday, I think for the second time. And I typically share our alumni newsletters with our recruits as well, just to give them another slice of what we're doing. Um, I'm like, man, get on the phone. Let's go. Let's have a chat. Like, this is a great opportunity for you to tell me a little bit. I mean, I love being on the phone anyway with those players. I didn't necessarily love it at first, but I've realized that to truly get to know the the person, but also that character piece, um, is obviously so vital when you're bringing people into something you're trying to build and that has a history of, of being a great program. Um, I'm just encouraging them to get on the phone. I'm like, let's talk about, you know, what your values are and how they help you make decisions in life or, you know, give me an op- give me a time when you were dealing with adversity outside of COVID-19. Uh, and it's just really, it's just really fascinating. I just love to hear what they've been through and how they came through it. And, 
you know, so. Is that a change? Has the conversations changed? Uh, or would you normally ask that type of question? Yeah, I added that question this past year. I wanted to, we have, we have a set of questions that we use as a coach and staff that guide us and they progress over four calls. So ideally across two years, we want to speak to someone four times. Um, someone that we're really interested in and the questions definitely get a little grittier and harder, i.e. The, the, the first calls like, tell me about yourself, you know, hobbies, all the other usual stuff. The fourth call is asking if you get here and this isn't what you imagined or you don't get the time that you, you thought you were going to get, how are you going to react? Can you give me some examples of how you've already begun thinking about that process or already doing it? So now I flipped one of them to the first question so that they would get more of an idea of what we're looking for because I, I didn't know if it was very fair to kind of slam that all on them after building a year or two of rapport where it's kind of, I don't know, the fluffy stuff that everyone's fluffy and, you know, uh, it's not that fluffy when you get anywhere, never mind college. So that definitely has come in and maybe my last call, I had a call yesterday. Um, just, I think it's just maybe the, the two calls that I've had since this pandemic has been in place are a little bit more relaxed, you know, chilled out, just trying to see how their families are doing and all of this, see how they're doing, what their club teams are doing for them. So maybe that's changed a little bit. Um, and I've told them, precisely what I've told you, Matt, is that we're not, we're not getting crazy over here trying to win the World Cup in COVID-19. We're not, we're going to do our best to prepare and I might eat my words in, in August, September, but I just don't believe in, in adding more pressure to the pile um, and, and kind of advise them a little bit about that, you know, making sure that when their club teams bring them back to train, that they're not going full throttle into that first tackle because they're just going to get hurt and it's going to be miserable because the timeline's already cut short. So I've been trying to guide them a little bit on what we've been doing. I've even sent them a couple ideas of how they can get seen. So I'm like, you know, now's a good time to send some home workouts or, you know, soccer related stuff because I've got, I know I've got the time to watch it. It may not be like the best game film or the best, cut up thing you've ever done but I don't know show me your best trick or whatever you want to do the toilet paper thing if that's your thing great but be better if it was with a ball so just just encouraging them to to know that something's better than nothing and so a call and maybe a video of their skills are the the two main things I've tried to identify for them yeah so we all hope that this is going to go away tomorrow <laughs> um if it doesn't you know, what are the challenges that you, that you are still facing that maybe you don't have solutions to, or that you see kind of looming on the horizon? I think my biggest challenge is trying to put forth a structure around that relational piece that's going to be meaningful and has progression to it. That isn't just some one-off, um, lesson you know that has structure but but also you know objectives and almost like a a six-week 
curriculum, if you will, for the, for the mind or them as a team working together. Um, that I think is, is probably for sure the top of my list. Um, I know there's obviously a ton of stuff out there and, and great resources like yourself. So I think that they're definitely going to be relied upon a bit more than they have in the past because depending on how it does go and, and who knows, like I don't know if we come out of this and go back to normal again, 110% or if it's going to be gradual or if we're going to be out for two weeks and back on the, uh, the jail card on the monopoly board again for another two weeks, like who knows? So normally in the summer, I, the structure is, is tough because they're in a job, they're at home. Um, you know, you're trying to trust that what you gave them is going to get done. And so that piece they're, they're used to cause they've done it before, but in terms of being a, being a team and, and working through May and June as a team, that might be a little tough. Those two months for sure. July, hopefully they're back to the, to the normality of what a summer looks like. And so, yeah, that would, that would be my top one. I think, I don't think I have yeah. really any others. What do you think is the lasting impact of all this? So after all is said and done, has anything changed? Um, I think going back to the mental health piece, I would probably hope that people and especially young people, given, you know, the slight epidemic with that, that people can look inward at themselves and realize that they're probably stronger and braver than they give themselves credit for. Um, I think, and I see it in my, my own players a little bit, there's this, lack of wanting to be in that suffering for just long enough to build that toughness that helps with the next scenario that happens in life, which is, it's absolutely going to happen, whether it's this, whether it's marriage, divorce, sickness, whatever. Um, I don't know why I get the sense that younger people just haven't had that opportunity. And sometimes I used to call it failure, but I don't even know if that's it. It's almost, I don't even think it's failing because they don't even, I think they're failing, but someone scoops them right out just at the time when they, when they're just kind of, you know, brinking on the full sweat, if you will. Um, so my hope is that they can kind of look, look at themselves and go, Oh, wow. I, I can maybe, I can maybe sit through something like this again, but now I know going into it, what, I'm going to do that. I didn't start doing until four weeks in. So I guess maybe I'm, I'm slightly hopeful and a lot of what my thinking is, is built around faith. And sometimes a lot of their thinking is built around fear, but I think I heard it this morning. It was a good quote that the two are the same. You can't see either of them, but they exist. So what one do you want to choose? It's not like you have to pick fear. You're just choosing to pick it and it's, it doesn't exist. You can't see it. So you're, you're believing in it just as much as you could believe in faith. I have a mentor who says fear and faith cannot coexist, which I think is really interesting, right? Is that uh, if you do go to the side of faith, then inherently you are, you are accepting resiliency, building resiliency against fear uh, and probably vice versa. That if you, 
uh, are, are prescribed, uh, getting into fear, then faith is perhaps a, a real challenge. Right. So Sinead, thank you for your time. I appreciate you. you and all you do for not only this podcast, but for your players. Um, I wish you all the best and thanks again. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for everything. Good luck and stay in touch. Thanks. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Performance Rising Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can find all the information about the podcast at performancerising.org. And be sure to check out the Instagram page at performance underscore rising.